2: for those who don't understand a lot of people think they've had gumbo and they ain't had gumbo a lot of people call stuff gumbo that's not gumbo but <laughs> for those who know when you have gumbo and you're making the gumbo happen it's very meticulous
3: welcome to your mama's kitchen the podcast that explores how we're shaped as adults by the kitchens we grew up in as kids I'm Michelle Norris Today's guest is a musical wonder, multiple Grammy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. And it's no surprise that our conversation quickly turned to gumbo, that hot, steaming bowl of deliciousness that New Orleans is known for. John is one of the city's favorite sons, and gumbo is an apt metaphor for his songwriting and his attitude toward life. Everything he does, from his music to his fashion to the way he moves through the world, embodies a medley of influences, special flavors, and notes from his world travels. You might know John from his days leading the band on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Or you may remember his over-the-top, silver-spangled performance of his hit song, Freedom, at the 2022 Grammy Awards Ceremony, where he was nominated for 11 awards and went home with a whopping five statues. He's also known for collaboration, and there's that gumbo thing again, recording with artists such as Stevie Wonder, Lana Del Rey, and Willie Nelson. I've known John for years, and I love that he's held on to the playful eccentricities you used to see in his street performances, even as he became a music star. This is a man who loves music. He comes from a musical dynasty in New Orleans. The Batiste family members are key players in epic ensembles, including the Treme Brass Band and the Olympia Brass Band. We caught up with John toward the end of a stretch filled with highlights and heartbreak. In the same year that he racked up all those Grammys, his wife was battling leukemia and came close to death. Their story is featured in the new film American Symphony. In this episode, you're here about a remarkable life that has been guided by food, family, and faith. Oh, hello! Plus, you get to hear John serve up the sounds of a New Orleans Christmas. All that's coming up. Stay tuned. John Batiste. I am so glad you're in the studio with us. I love the energy you bring to everything that you do, and so I know our listeners are in for a treat.
2: Oh, yes. Hello.
3: Hello, hello. Tell me about your mama's kitchen.
2: Ooh, man, oh, man. My mama's kitchen would turn out the most incredible dishes that would heal your soul and allow for your mind to just run free. I remember as a kid going into the cookie jar and there would be peanut butter cookies. There would be chocolate chip cookies. there would be all types of incredible creations that she would make and I would never see them in the store or anywhere else. She would make fried chicken, fried fish. We had cabbage and collard greens, black eye beans. We had red beans and rice, New Orleans style, her special recipe developed over the years, first white rice, then brown rice. We had gumbo for the Christmas holiday, and it would be this pot of gumbo that would last up until mid-January. Oh, come on. And you know what I mean.
3: Take me inside that kitchen, because you grew up in Kenner.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
3: I always say that people in Kenner like water people. Because you're kind of hard up against Lake Pontchartrain and then you got the Mississippi on the other side. And it's a place where you're kind of squeezed in and so the community is very tight there. Oh, yeah. Take me inside your neighborhood and then your kitchen. What did that kitchen look like? Make me feel like I'm inside that kitchen.
2: You walk in and it's one of the biggest rooms in the house that I grew up in, if not the biggest. We had a big kitchen where the dinner table was this monument in the center of the kitchen. Just a a regular old dinner table. We would play all kinds of beats on the table with our forks and our knives. And there were the play settings that she would put out sometimes. Other times we would just sit there and we would get to the food so quick there'd be no time for the play setting. (laughs) But you had brown wood and this incredible yellow like sunshine paint that was on the panels. So it was brown and yellow with the old white stove as the only break in the color scheme. And I just remember that yellow vividly. I remember having birthday parties in that kitchen around that big old table, me and 10 of my cousins, me being the youngest of the siblings and the cousins at the time would just be in our Ninja Turtles regalia. And we would be sitting around the table, trading stories and having a good time. And that yellow would just be the backdrop. And just something about that really brings joy to me. I still sometimes look for that yellow when I'm thinking about creative ideas or aesthetics or even wardrobe. I find that yellow from my childhood.
3: You go back to that kitchen.
2: I go back to that kitchen. And so funny. I didn't think of that until you asked me this question. (laughs)
3: You described something that I have to go back to You said when you'd all be sitting at the table You'd pick up your knife and your fork and your spoon And you'd be working out beats at the table Describe that for me
2: (laughs) It was one of the things that You do as a kid Just for fun But then I have some really talented Family members And it would become a form of The creative process Starting in the kitchen We'd be playing a beat And we'd hear something on the radio or we'd be trying to mimic something from a video game soundtrack or score. And that would lead to us going to our instruments and actually making something out of this kitchen table beat. Take the knife and you take the back of the knife and you just hit it at the bottom of the table or you hit it in the center, somewhere that you can get that low echo, that drone that's mimicking a bass drum. And then you have your fork, and you might hit it against your plate, or you might hit it against your glass, and that's kind of the symbol and the snare all in one. And you create something together. It becomes our drum circle
3: right there in that kitchen. You were very humble. You said you come from a musical family. You come from not just a musical family. You come from one of the legendary musical families of New Orleans. Your father was part of the Batiste brothers. You have cousins who play. Your sister plays piano also. How important is music to your family and how much was that melded with what you did in the kitchen in regard to food? Because in New Orleans, food is its own kind of music.
2: That's right. (laughs) I was growing up in a time where regional music still had a lot of its foothold. You couldn't go to a place like New Orleans and not be introduced to a new artist that you hadn't heard of. There were a lot of local musicians and local artists that were influential And I remember being in the kitchen. (laughs) This is so funny. I'm remembering now. We always had a soundtrack playing. There was always something playing when we were there to the point that my first dinner that I'd had outside of the house where there was not music playing in the background, it felt strange. Like I felt like there was something missing with the ritual of the meal. So (laughs) it played a role, but it was more just a part of the way that we lived and breathed in that time, and particularly in New Orleans.
3: Tell me about your mom and describe for us also how she operated in that kitchen. That's a big room. And she worked. And so she probably had to work on a tight schedule when she got home because you had a big family. And it sounds like your doors were always open, so there was always cousins and neighbors and fellow bandmates from the marching band at school probably coming over. What was that like for her?
2: Catherine Baptiste. Catherine would come into the kitchen after being at work for the entirety of the morning into the early evening. Come back after getting us from school and prepare a meal like clockwork. It would always be around 7 o'clock, round that area. And it's amazing to think about how she was able to do it. She then decides, partway through our childhood, I'm in middle school and. My mother decides to go back to school to get yet another master's degree. Changes career path. Becomes an environmentalist before it's in vogue, before it's something that is a part of the national conversation. Truly visionary and does this while never missing a meal, never having us as a family miss dinner time. You think about how she was able to do that And it's mind-blowing to me. She's a superhero.
3: How was she able to do that?
2: Part of what I think is instilled in me when I'm putting this enormous amount of work into what it is that I do, it becomes a labor of love. It becomes something that is a bigger part of your life than just a job or something that needs to happen. It's a part of how you communicate. She really saw cooking as a way for her to communicate her love to us. It wasn't something that she felt was getting in the way of other things she wanted to do. And I know it was still difficult because she still had to put all the time in. And we've talked about this as I've taken up cooking lately and I've tried to learn every single one of her recipes. But she says, I actually miss those days. She says she's fond of that time of really providing that bedrock for our family.
3: Mrs. having you all there.
2: Yes, I'm out of the house. My sister's out of the house. We don't have those days of everybody's friends and cousins and everybody coming into the house. and It was a lot, but she also misses it, which I found to be a deep thing that she shared with me recently. And Obviously, I miss it, but I wasn't the one in there cooking.
3: (laughs) So it truly was a labor of love for her.
2: Yes, yes, that's right.
3: Now, you had seven children in that household.
2: Oh, my goodness. It's a big
3: house, a loud house, and a lot of mouths to feed. And I'm wondering why, when you tick through all the food that you loved, you talked about gumbo and you talked about everything else, but when you talked about your mom's red rice recipe that she perfected, I'm wondering if red rice became such a staple because that's a New Orleans tradition or also because you can stretch red beans and rice and you can feed a whole lot of people.
2: Funny enough, red beans and rice wasn't when I was a kid. It wasn't my favorite. She had a way of serializing the meals. It would become a series where Mondays was red beans and rice, and that's a tradition in New Orleans. Wednesdays was some form of spaghetti and meatballs or spaghetti and ground beef or some incredible pasta. That was my favorite growing up. And Fridays would be fish, whether it was catfish, filet, fried fish, any form of her recipe of making fish for Friday we would have. And then Thursday and Tuesday would be something that now I look back, those were her days where she would experiment and find different recipes, whether it was stew or any form of chicken recipe, baked chicken, stewed chicken. So Mondays, I would often grow tired of having red beans and rice. And I would say, we have red beans again. Oh, man. Now, as I grew older, that changed And I think the reason was, you know, she had red beans and rice every Monday growing up. And I'm sure that my grandmother had some form of that tradition growing up. So you imagine it's a part of your life that you don't even think about. It's second nature to make red beans and rice on Mondays. So that's what was special to me about it. Not that um, I got it as a kid, but as an adult. And now I make it myself. And (laughs) every Monday that I get a chance, I'm doing it.
3: What's so special about her recipe for red beans and rice?
2: She's figured out a way to make it healthy in the ways that she's grown to understand health and health consciousness. There's certain things you can keep out of the recipe or replace in the recipe while maintaining the depth of flavor and the nuance of the taste of New Orleans-style red beans and rice. And she's the only person that I've seen effectively do it. And to do it in a way where you don't lose the essence of the recipe. Wow.
3: So when she tried to make it healthier, does that mean that she took like the ham hock out of it?
2: Sometimes she'll take the pork out of it. Sometimes she'll take the rice. For us, brown rice is healthier. If you study your blood type, things like that. Just little things here or there. Or what about if we were to take that element and add a little bit of texture to the beans so that when you eat the beans, there's a little, it's a hint of turmeric and what that does for your system. It's just so many things like that she comes up with and she could really articulate how she's thinking about it. Because I don't actually know what makes her reach for these elements, but it really works.
3: You know, and you have to be careful when you do that, because when you start, tinkering with an old family recipe, people will want to snatch your soul sister license. I mean, they're like, who stole the soul from the family recipe? You know, you can get run out of the house if you mess with something too much. That's the
2: thing about it, though. You taste it and the soul is there and you don't even know that the thing that's typically in there is not.
3: So you're cooking a lot now and you're trying to replicate what you grew up with. Is that something that you've always done? Did you just realize that you now have time to cook? Did that happen during COVID? When did you start to tinker in the kitchen?
2: I really started during the pandemic to take the art of cooking seriously. I cooked for many years, but I never really had the time to focus on perfecting certain recipes. And I really took that time during the pandemic and the lockdown that we all experienced and hopefully gained the skill out of. That was my skill. That was the thing that I wanted to refine for many years. And then I had the time to not only dedicate to it, but also my mother had the time to sit and be the master chef that she is and teach me her sous chef.
3: How did you do that over Zoom? Were you in New York and she was in New Orleans?
2: Yes, we did it over Zoom, we did it over FaceTime. We had a chance to get together many times throughout the pandemic as well. It was a very long period of time, but it was productive in us being able to focus and really me taking the time to document all of these recipes and get her to think about how she did it. <laughs> Sometimes she wouldn't remember, of she wouldn't know how she's achieving these things in the kitchen. Until I would ask her, all kinds of little details would come out. And it was a lot of trial and error in that way.
3: There's a lot that happens in a kitchen that doesn't have anything to do with food. What were the important lessons that you learned, the important wisdom that you got in your kitchen that continues to help you today?
2: Kitchen was a place to deliberate. It's a place of solace place to process ideas. The kitchen was not just to eat, it was to go even late night. If you wanted to just take a breather, sit at the table and let your thoughts roam and let your imagination really speak to you. That was where the kitchen came into play for me as a kid. I would draw on the kitchen table. I would then draw on books when I was told that I shouldn't draw on the table. (laughs) <laughs> you, know, wait, this, you Oh wait, this... you
3: drew on the table I thought you were drawing on a piece of paper that was on the table You were actually drawing on the table Yes, when I was table. very
2: young Yes, absolutely Oops Something about being in the kitchen It just would bring these ideas to the surface And there was a feeling of being safe in the kitchen So the kitchen still is that for me in my home today It's a gathering place, and it's a place where memories are made, and we talk about many things that have nothing to do with cooking.
3: I wonder if the kitchen for you today is also a healing space. You and and your wife have been on quite a journey, and is she still in chemo right now?
2: Yes, she's in chemo, but she's cancer-free. Thank God. Thank
3: Thank thank you. Thank goodness. You two met at band camp when you were teenagers. Yes. You've been together a long time. And in the film that I hope everyone sees, American Symphony, you talk about your health journey. And I'm wondering if the kitchen for you now is not just a place of inspiration and respite, but if it is a very important healing space as well.
2: Absolutely. There's a feeling of real triumph when we come home And I'm imagining us coming home after her recent time in the hospital, where we didn't know she would make it back home. This is a time where there's a lot of uncertainty. And to come back that first night and sit in the kitchen together again, after months of being displaced and having uncertainty be the rule of the day, that was a very special, special memory for me. And truly is a place now where there's so many things that occur that are healing. I remember we had the launch of my album from our kitchen. We could have gone to a venue or a fancy restaurant even, or some performance hall. But we felt after this year that we've had, let's have all of the most important people in our life come to our kitchen and let's just share this time And do something very special in that way. We've had many gatherings in that regard since this time has been so challenging to really fortify our home. And we have a model that we have engraved in one of my instruments that's in the kitchen. It's the model family and freedom. And that's the place where we've been manifesting that ever since this journey has begun.
3: Family and freedom. I think I might want to put that on the wall in my kitchen too. I like that.
2: You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Hold up. Like what you're hearing? The next episode is available now exclusively from Audible. Visit audible.com slash kitchen and hit the follow button for the latest episodes each week. You can listen to new episodes on Audible two weeks before you can hear them anywhere else. Have you ever owned
3: something that inspired you to try to lift up your game? I know, I just got a new tennis racket. It's one of those newfangled things that's supposed to put a little bit of extra sauce on the ball. And it makes me want to spend a little bit of extra time on the court to perfect my backhand or work on my volleys. Here's the thing. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Available dynamic sky panoramic glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. Available multi-terrain select. With all of these options, you can travel in style and comfort in the city or off road. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. John, we know you now as an extrovert. You wear flashy clothes, you're always dressed in glad rags. We've seen you. On stage, we've seen you every night when you were leading the band on Colbert. You have hair is always popping. Mm. I listened to your sister in an interview. And she said that she's always amazed when she sees that version of John Batiste because she remembers a shy little kid who just wanted to make music and draw and didn't want to talk to anyone. What happened? How did you suddenly burst out of that shell and become the John Batiste that we see and love today? (laughs)
2: everything is always inside. We have so much inside of us that is a big part of who we are that comes out in stages. Things happen in your life in stages. And I believe that when you become a performer, the job of the performer in part is to figure out how to manifest all of the incredible gifts that you've been given and beauty that's within you and communicate that. How do you communicate it as a performer, as a manifestation of your art? And that process helps you as a human being to really step out of your shell. I'm still an introvert, but I believe that developing first the desire to communicate all that's within and then the craft of performing And being on stage, that led me to where I am today.
3: Does your music help pull you out of your shyness? As I ask this question, I'm remembering a night, it was several years ago, we were both in Colorado for a big ideas festival. And you walked into the room playing your instrument. And you were almost invisible behind the instrument. And I wonder if that was part of what you do is use the music as this is my way of finding an entry point.
2: Absolutely. Music truly is a language. Music communicates. Music speaks to people on a level that many times even words can't reach. And that's the thing about stepping into any environment, whether it's the highest of the high or it's the most mundane, everyday, down-home environments. Everything that you do and everything that you say with your instrument is felt immediately without need of translation.
3: (laughs) Now, tell me what you have there. You picked up your melodica.
2: That's right. It's a harmonica and a keyboard put together. I like to call it a board. It's a really cool instrument. It's averse to anyone feeling better than someone else. It's a child's toy <laughs> a averse to pomposity. It feels like it's a character. To me it feels like a world. It can go around the world. It can go anywhere in space and time. It's a form of time travel.
3: When did you pick up the melodica?
2: Around 14 or 15, my father gifted me one. From his travels, he went to Japan and brought melodica back. And from then on, I'd started to carry it around with me. When I moved to New York to go to Juilliard, and I would be in the halls of Juilliard, this conservatory, with the melodica. And I would be in the subways, and I would be playing the melodica. And then eventually, it started to become a part of my performances. We do these things where it's called a love riot. Sometimes we would start in the subway cart or on the subway platform. And we would take the people, and we would march while playing. I would be playing my instrument through this processional while it's happening. And then people would gather along the way and it would get so exciting that from afar you would think you're seeing something crazy going down in the street uh, you know you'd see hundreds of people sometimes we would do it after the concert and you'd take literally thousands of people from the venue and you would march thousands of people gathering more along the way down into the subway and cram into a car on the platform and just be this this real celebratory environment So this is the evolution of how I've used this instrument, this little old instrument, to really create this energy in the world. And it's about community.
3: It's a second line. It's a New Orleans tradition.
2: Oh, yes. Yes, we've done second lines in New Orleans for many, many centuries. You think about the beginning of New Orleans and the march, and you think about how the march was then taken and transformed into all of the different forms of New Orleans music. And now today, you know, the love riot is an extension of that tradition. But if you think of the second line as a form of ritual, as a form of celebrating the life of a deceased relative or loved one, the love riot is a form of creating community anywhere we go.
3: When you brought that instrument with you to Juilliard, the conservatory, did they understand that?
2: No, they didn't get it, but it's okay. I've always been someone who uh, sees things before they're present. You get a vision or you have an idea and you just learn to trust it. I respect all of my professors and all the different folks who are seeing another vision for me, but ultimately, you got to stick to the track that you know is your track. All right. Stay on that right right. track.
3: That's right. So they tried to actually tell you to put that instrument down they said it was a toy
2: yeah yeah it's people who I definitely admired telling me things that I didn't want to hear but it's hard to ignore someone that you trust or a mentor or a friend or anybody who doesn't get what you're doing but I also think it's important because if you don't have to push back you don't develop a certain resolve in your artistry that you need to really reach a level of excellence
3: you were a drummer originally and you took a piano at about age 11. And when your mom started sending you to, I forget your music teacher's name. Oh, yes. What is her name? Say her name. Miss Shirley. Yes, Miss Shirley. <laughs> when you started Shirley. to go see Miss Shirley for your music lessons, your mom, as the story goes, said, you need to go where this instrument will take you.
2: Oh, yeah. She saw a vision, just like I saw a vision with the melodica and the harmonaboard board, now this instrument that I'm improving upon and even created versions of. My mother, even as a kid, saw me as a pianist when I was playing the drums. This wasn't something that was obvious. She saw it. She had a vision and said, oh, this child and the piano have some business to take care of. And she found Miss Shirley, who was this incredible classical piano teacher, to guide part of my process of development.
3: And it's taken you to some interesting places, John Batiste.
2: Oh yeah, from my mama's kitchen to my mom and I all around the world. It's beautiful. I always take my family with me everywhere that I can.
3: So what is the soundtrack for the holiday sound like?
2: My dad loves to sing the Christmas song during the holidays. And that's a tradition of him and I will go to the piano and he'll sing and I'll play and I'll sing and he'll play the bass sometimes and we'll play together and it'll be a a great moment. And we did it one year on stage and it was so beautiful to share that with folks. First time outside of just our living room. And that's a tradition. And I love doing, not necessarily carols, but I love having these sort of performances in the house. It'll be my family and friends sometimes will come over. This past year, we were in Saratoga Springs, where Sulika is from. And we had a, a wonderful gathering. My parents were there, her parents and family friends, and we gathered around the piano in her living room. Food was on the table, and my dad said, let's sing. (laughs) And we sung again uh, a Christmas song, things like that. We sung some Louis Armstrong, you know, What a Wonderful World. Just songs that make you feel good about being alive in a dark world, in a time where things can be a little heavy to even process around the holidays and where a lot of people may feel there's no hope. We want to put some hope out from our living room.
3: You have um, so many influences in your music. You're from New Orleans. You went to school in New York. Sulika's from Saratoga Springs. Her parents are Tunisian and her mom is from Switzerland. Yeah. So you have all these different influences inside of you as you play music. I wonder, is it possible for you to share a traditional Christmas song and show us through your music how you add a different flavor to it depending on the influence of the various people in your life
2: absolutely so you see <laughs>
3: You can really make that instrument do so much more than I think any other artist can when they pick up that. Thank you so much. Harmonica keyboard. I want to talk to you about the holidays in New Orleans. Because the holidays in New Orleans are a little bit different. They're a little bit shinier a little bit spicier. Describe New Orleans during the holidays, during that magical period between Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and all the other holidays that we celebrate in November, December.
2: Oh, wow. There's so much magic in the air. The holidays are very heightened in New Orleans because... You already have this music and you already have this pluralistic thinking, this celebration of diversity, of variety. You find all types of ways that the communal spirit and the holiday spirit is brought to life in New Orleans. So I highly recommend for any listeners out there who want to figure out a place to spend the holidays and have been in New Orleans, come on down.
3: It's delicious. There's no excuse for hey, ever nah. having a bad meal in New Orleans. The food is just, it is on a plane all its own. What's Christmas like in the Batiste household? What's on the menu?
2: There's a lot of great things that are traditional. And the staple, as I mentioned, is the gumbo my mother makes. And then what happens is it becomes... Not a competition, maybe a friendly competition, but we'll go to my grandfather's house and there's another pot of gumbo. We'll bring our gumbo over and you get to try the gumbo from my mom and the gumbo from my grandparents' house. That was a tradition and still goes on. You know, so that's gumbo a big part down. of it. Yeah, it's a gumbo throwdown. You go and you got to be ready. Because <laughs> everybody's spending about a week making the pot. This is not some overnight situation. You have to put thought in your gumbo. No,
3: no, gumbo is not for the faint. I mean, you have to put some time into gumbo.
2: Yeah, yeah. For those who don't understand, a lot of people think they've had gumbo and they ain't had gumbo. A lot of people call stuff gumbo. That's not gumbo. But <laughs> for those who know, when you have gumbo and you're making the gumbo happen, it's very meticulous.
3: Tell me about your mama's gumbo.
2: Oh, I would say that when you're making a roux, I like the roux to feel like it's not so watery, but not so thick. And her gumbo, the roux that she has, it has just the right amount of that swamp texture to it. Where you just, (laughs) you put a piece of bread in that and it just melts in your mouth. Perfect. It takes two days for... Her to get to the point where she's ready to put all the ingredients in the pot. Mm -hmm. So it's like she preps the potty. It's a whole nother approach than anything I've ever seen. I'm listening carefully here
3: because I make Christmas gumbo every year, so I'm trying to sop up some kitchen wisdom right now because it does take a while. Oh yeah, I make gumbo every year at Christmas.
2: See, so okay, so what do you have? Do you do chicken or do you do seafood or is it both both chicken and seafood? Chicken,
3: chicken and seafood.
2: Yep, same, and, same and thing. And sometimes
3: a little dollop of crab on the top because we're here yep. and we're close to Baltimore. My husband's from Baltimore, so I have a little oh, yeah. little piece of crab on the top. Now, we haven't done a gumbo smackdown. Maybe we should think about doing that because that just means <laughs> that there's more gumbo on the table. <laughs> but gumbo oh, I is know somebody in every household.
2: This past Christmas, he'll remain nameless, but a good friend of ours, a prominent individual, challenged my mother to a gumbo throwdown. And he's not from New Orleans, And he said, I want to challenge you. One bite, and we will know who the winner is. So I'm looking forward to that this Christmas. Maybe you should come by and have part of the friendly competition.
3: I'm never voting against your mom, so I'm just going to say that right now. (laughs) I'm always casting a vote for mom's gumbo, but I'm willing to try somebody else's.
2: Yeah, it was a very bold claim, especially for someone who is not from the home of gumbo. Come on now. Yeah,
3: that's... Mm, mm. Now back to her gumbo. So she does her yeah. roux over two days, same pot every year, wooden spoon, yep. Mm-hmm. always a wooden spoon. And you have to oh, kind of yeah. hit the spoon when the roux starts to do its thing.
2: Yep, yep.
3: You kind of <laughs> hit the pot and <laughs> yeah. the roux does this little dance inside that's and right. then settles down again.
2: That's right. That's a key moment because you can easily burn your mm-hmm, roux. Mm-hmm. Don't You can easily burn call. your roux.
3: Don't answer you the You've got to focus.
2: Yeah. It's a matter of seconds between not just burning your root, but your whole gumbo pot being messed up. And, and then you, you have to start, start over. over
3: again. Because yeah. I, you know, I can't believe I'm going to admit this in front of a microphone, but I have done that.
2: But that's part yeah, of the lesson. That, that's part the of best the wisdom. Of us have, <laughs> yeah, you got to get there.
3: So now you know, you just keep your eye on that. But when she does that, when does she put in her okra?
2: Ah! I- the okra comes right after the roux is done. Because the thing is, you don't want your okra to be burnt. Mm,
3: no, 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 no.
2: You understand? Oh, of course that, I
3: understand, that, yes. <laughs> now, there are some controversial aspects of gumbo. Some people put a sliced egg, boiled hard-boiled egg in their gumbo.
2: I never will eat that. That's the people I was talking about that think they're eating gumbo. That's not gumbo.
3: <laughs> and then what's the thing about a scoop of potato salad in gumbo?
2: Oh, interesting. I don't know about that. I haven't had it like that. I had potato salad with the gumbo, not potato salad in the gumbo. Some people I don't put know a little
3: that. potato salad in the gumbo. I've never really understand it, uh, understood it. No shame to people who do it, but it is a curiosity.
2: Y'all go ahead and do that. Also, some people have corn they put oh, in no. the gumbo. Corn and gumbo? Really? One time I had that, and I will tell you, I felt like this is sacrilege. I can't believe you're doing this.
3: <laughs> yeah, I no, no corn in the gumbo. Okay, so what are your plans for this Christmas? What are you doing this holiday?
2: Hoping to help some folks out. We have a lot of plans to use this season to give back, and there's a lot to celebrate. In our family, there's so many great things going on. We're sharing this big part of our life in the film that's coming out around the holidays, American Symphony, this documentary that we spoke about. And You know, this is also an album year for me with World Music Radio being this love letter to humanity. Finding ways to engage with the community through the holidays is always a big part of how I think about any album cycle year. So stay on the lookout for ways that you can help out and be involved. And then, of course, just eating and being around the kitchen table, going to see my family and friends and celebrating life while we have it.
3: You have that sign in your kitchen, family and freedom. What does freedom mean to you?
2: Freedom means living in the way that we were made to live and not having anything that blocks that. But most important, not having anything in your mind. (laughs) The mind frees the soul, frees the heart. You can't have your thoughts thinking and operating at a lower frequency than you were made to live at.
3: I've loved this conversation. It's made me very hungry.
2: Oh, you telling me. I'm about to go right now and get some <laughs> I got to get yeah, something. That is the oh, That's goodness. the
3: next stop is there's food on the horizon for me. Woo wee. Love you John Batiste. Thanks so much. Oh
2: yes, love you. Thank you and I'll see you soon.
3: Whenever I hear John's music, I'm going to think about that sign in his family kitchen, family and freedom. His childhood kitchen had plenty of both. And this story shows how that space can be an incubator for creativity, a place to let dreams soar, a place to find healing and solace in tough times, a place to figure out how to let folks know how much you care about them, which is what John's mama always did. I've heard John talk about his family's famous red beans and rice recipe for years and now we can all make it in our own kitchens. Now, a quick clarification, we began this podcast series with Michelle Obama's recipe for red rice, which has its roots in South Carolina and should not be confused with a New Orleans staple called red beans and rice. That's a simple dish that packs a lot of flavor if you know what you're doing. And to make sure you do, you can find the Batiste family recipe on my Instagram page at Michelle underscore underscore Norris. That's two underscores. You will also find background on my family's Christmas gumbo tradition. And I agree with John. No boiled eggs or potato salad in the gumbo, please. It stands strong on its own. Ruh-la-la. Happy, merry, everything to all of you. See you next week. And until then, be bountiful. Mm. This has been a Higher Ground, and Audible original produced by Higher Ground Studios. Senior producer, Natalie Wren. Producer, Sonia Tan. And associate producer, Angel Carreras. Sound design and engineering from Andrew Epen and Roy Baum. Higher Ground Audio's editorial assistants are Jenna Levin and Camilla Therdekus. Executive producers for Higher Ground are Nick White, Mukta Mohan, Dan Fearman, and me, Michelle Norris. Executive producers for Audible are Nick D'Angelo and Anne Hepperman. The show's closing song is 504 by the Soul Rebels. Editorial and web support from Melissa Baer and Say What Media. Our talent booker is Angela Peluso. Special thanks this week to The Creamery in Brooklyn, New York, and to Clean Cuts in Washington, D.C. Chief Content Officer for Audible is Rachel Giazza. And that's it. Goodbye, everybody. Make sure and come back to see what we're serving up next week.
0: Copyright 2023 by Higher Ground Audio, LLC. Sound recording copyright 2023 by Higher Ground Audio, LLC.
1: Have you ever
3: owned something that inspired you to try to lift up your game? I know, I just got a new tennis racket. It's one of those newfangled things that's supposed to put a little bit of extra sauce on the ball, and it makes me want to spend a little bit of extra time on the court to perfect my backhand or work on my volleys. Here's the thing. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities, you never knew existed it's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go you'll never go without available dynamic sky panoramic glass roof available front row massaging seats available 33 inch all-terrain tires available multi-terrain select with all of these options you can travel in style and comfort in the city or off-road Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.